When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm happy to be here with Jeffy Haza, and we're going to be talking about two albums that pretty much everyone is talking about. It's uh, Kanye West's Donda and Drake's Certified Lover Boy. And I think one of the things that's great about these two albums is how much there is to dig into on them. Jeff, you reviewed... Of course, the Drake album, and I'm sure you've been thinking a lot about the Kanye album as well. What strikes you about the just kind of the overall discourse and reaction to the, to these albums, and, and and sort of the way they've been framed uh, against each other in a way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's been a long time since we had you know this sort of widespread pop cultural conversation or discourse about music, um, especially rap music. I think. You know, for the past few years, we've probably been more or less coasting along with just release after release and not too much controversy. And Drake and Kanye have this interesting simmering beef since like 2018 or so (laughs) uh, that has really been the only mainstream, you know, superstar rivalry, if you will, uh, in, in recent memory, at least. And for for better and for more worse, I think both albums kind of fell victim to the narratives around them, I think, as opposed to making the kinds of music or the kinds of songs that all of their fans like, that they've kind of developed their careers doing, that they've developed their skills doing, both artists kind of chose to dig into the sort of tabloid discourse and conversation around the records and, and you know, make songs that weren't really necessary outside of the context of adding fuel to whatever fire there is. Um, mm. In my opinion, it just resulted in two re- really disappointing albums. Really disappointing albums. That's interesting. I mean, I, I, I didn't necessarily take your Drake review as really disappointing. I, I saw it as, uh, I, I took mildly disappointing, but you still liked a lot of it. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, Drake's a <laughs> super talented musician. He's a record-breaking artist for reasons. Um, so it, it would be hard for him to just come out with a flatly bad album. But, you know, it's like it's like watching LeBron or Jordan or something play mediocre because there's all this rumors and controversy around them. You know, it's like you're a good player. You're going to put up a bunch of points, but we know you can do better. And that's sort of how this feels. Right. The Kanye album is interesting and all Kanye albums are interesting. One of the things that really makes it stand out to me is the very real sense as much as ever that it's a bulletin from inside this guy's head uh, for an hour and 40 minutes, uh, which is about how long the album is, it, you really do feel for better or worse, and as you said, sometimes for the worse, that this is what it's like inside the head of this guy, this very unusual guy at this very fraught point in his life and career. You know, and that that makes it art. And I think, you know, that, that also applies to the Drake album, but I'd say Drake's head is a much less strange place to be it's a it's a very uh idiosyncratic in his own way but he's kind of just a guy whereas kanye is like 
inexplicable in so many ways. Uh, let's start with a little bit of the the process behind Donda, because obviously that was fascinating. And uh, I've been thinking about it. I know a lot of people have been thinking about it. Obviously, he did these these stadium listening parties for the album that were tremendously successful. He made millions of dollars. And I think may have been successful on an artistic level in the sense that some if some concerts now are basically just people um, at best adding vocals to the existing versions of their album with the vocals already playing in the background, maybe it's a more compelling live experience to, to just play a work in progress that you know is kind of changing in front of you, even if the, the sort of almost regardless of the ultimate quality of the thing. Uh, what did you make of, of that whole thing, the, the, uh, the, the stadium aspect of this? Yeah, I mean, I think you, your point there is really right, where there's so much to that rollout that was really fascinating. I think even, you know, down to him sleeping at the stadium in Atlanta was interesting, like just genuinely interesting art. Well, just just, just pausing on that for a second. As a writer, didn't you kind of relate to that? Like, aren't there times when you, when if, if, if you're on deadline, you do, that's exactly what you want. You want to hole up somewhere where no one can bother you. However, uh, I personally would not live stream it, and that's where the, the art... <laughs> <laughs> right, Sorry, right. Go ahead. I don't think anyone wants a live stream of me on deadline. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I, and I think like Kanye is fascinating in that way, where I think he is good at doing these sort of quasi avant-garde performances, where he's he's teasing out something that is interesting about the ways in which we live now. That said, I can't be that impressed with the rollout because none of that felt intentional. And I, I kind of never really appreciate the, the haphazard way that Kanye does these things where, you know, it would have been amazing had he just launched the album that way straightforwardly. But instead, what we got was every week, literally announcements that the album was coming out and that it wasn't out. And I don't think there's any reason for that. It's like, listen, you can just tell people up front, you're going to get to watch me make this album. And people will be here for that. And people would love that. Again, I, I have to relate it to as I, don't you think that maybe he was setting fake deadlines for himself to try to get himself to produce? I'm serious. Maybe, maybe. And it's like, you know, with Kanye, I think that people often do this thing where he's such a creative genius that everything must have been somehow part of the plan or something. Uh, I think genuinely that he <laughs> didn't have any idea what he was doing and, and kind of put it together <laughs> as it was happening. Uh which, you know, it's just like at this point, you're, you know, this is what your 10th studio album, you've been in the game for multiple, you know, 20 years or something like, it's just it's it's a little it's a little tiresome at this point to still be doing these games of like, not having, your, having, having your shit together, not having, you know, what you need to have in order, like, the album's not ready, don't do a performance, don't do a listening party, no one needed to know that it was coming until it was ready and, and stuff like you know, that. I can't help but thinking that I can't help but thinking it, like you're looking at this as the exasperated editor, whereas I'm sympathizing with it as the, as the writer. So I, <laughs> for sure. I mean, yeah, like tell me you're going to be late. Don't promise and under deliver. Uh, that's, that's rule of thumb to me. But I mean, I think even in terms of the actual events themselves, you know, so you have these overpriced long sleeves and the weird, bulletproof vest that ended up reselling for like 20 grand. And, you know, there are a lot of elements to the, to Kanye's sort of branding that I am increasingly just frustrated and like uninterested in. It's like this like fake streetwear thing that he's doing and this whole like high art 
leaning or whatever you want to call it, it's just not interesting anymore. I think years ago when Kanye sort of emerged with this interest in, in art and fashion, it was exciting and it was compelling because it was new. We're so heavily saturated with that culture as it is that I'm just not going to be moved by another rapper with another, you know, merch collaboration with another high fashion brand behind them. You know, it's like, again, do something else, do something new, challenge the status quo. Like if you created this new status quo that we live in, because you're a you know trailblazer, it's time to blaze new trails. Like, uh, you know, as Matthew Williams did the Playboy Cardi album or was executive producer on it. You can't go to any fashion show now without a bunch of rappers front row. It's like, we get it. We get that you guys are into fashion. We get that you want to like topple the fashion establishment for whatever reason. Uh, ask better questions or ask deeper questions. At this point, it's just grading. And like, I don't know. I just, I, the, the whole Kanye experience frustrated me more than the Drake experience is what I'll say. Well, I think that's fair. It struck me as interesting how, first of all, I feel like the Kanye stands were kind of like back in a more uh, confident way, attacking people who weren't totally happy with his album, which I feel like they were kind of cowed into a little bit more silence when he was really kind of <laughs> losing the plot during the Trump era. Uh, so that's interesting. He seems to have, I could be wrong, but he seems to have reconnected with the stands a little bit. And then even more broadly, you know, I, I, it feels like there is a level of clearly an, an openness to forgiveness or overlooking of the most egregious moments of his red cap era. Uh, you know, as even uh, Jay-Z lyrically kind of granted his forgiveness. Were you surprised by the extent to which people are willing to kind of seemingly set that aside? Personally, not at all. I mean, I think if Trump were still president, we would be having a very different conversation. I think people's memories are pretty short when it comes to that sort of thing, especially when, you know, there's a new political regime. All of that ire in the Trump era was kind of everyone's anger at Trump on a daily basis being, you know, transplanted onto Kanye, who's wearing a hat everywhere. So it makes total sense to me that, like, now that Trump's gone, we don't care that much about Kanye being a Trumper years ago because it doesn't have any weight any longer. It doesn't have the same sort of weight. That said, I mean, I still think there's a, a large population that fully has just given up on paying attention to Kanye. Like I found it hard to even muster the energy to put the album on and listen to it all the way through because it's like you, it's, you know, even on the album, it's, he's still in this very neoconservative position and it's not something I really want to like entertain in my daily life. I must confess. I don't find a lot of the, um, the religious, the, the full on preaching from him isn't for me. <laughs> When it gets into spiritual conflict and that kind of thing, I'm always open to that from from any artist, pretty much. But when he's just full on, kind of preaching the gospel, which is a little less of on this album, it is not not of interest to me personally, at least. Yeah, and I mean, I think his new the the religious the I mean, we shouldn't even say religious. It's very specifically Christian, you know. Uh, yes. The the Christian church posturing that he's doing could be compelling. Like there is a way to make interesting religious music and there are people who do that what kanye is doing doesn't feel like it's rooted in real spirituality if that makes any sense it feels a lot more like it's uh i don't know it's like not to say that it's a personal branding exercise because i'm sure he's genuinely christian and you know studies the bible and everything but you know you have to kind of i don't know for me it feels weird listening to these you know deeply religious lyrics and then 
this like unwillingness to be humble, you know, which is like very antithetical to like most Christian ideology. I don't know. I found that I found that just like since he's been doing it for the past few years, you know, I've never really jived with it because it didn't feel as genuine as it could have. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Even the like, I, I was a little bit irritated by the fact that he put the the only the clean version on streaming and that kind of thing. Like, come on, man! Like, like it's just <laughs> I found that a little bit. Which means there's like actually censored parts all over the the album, right, which is right. just. And then it's like, why did you even make it that way? If you know, <laughs> right? Why is there stuff to censor <laughs> if you're so <laughs> like that? Does feel very current Kanye? Like just stuff that if you think about it for a minute, you're like, wait, what? Um, Musically, I think there's a lot. There's there's some interesting stuff on there, uh, as there pretty much always is, even kind of at his lowest points. There's been a lot of talk about just sort of the lack of drums as a thing. Uh, <laughs> that there are, you know, there's long, and that's been going on for a while. That's kind of a, a signifier of certain stuff. But it 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 is amazing. Uh, it, it does seem to take it to new heights of of, of long stretches of songs or entire songs where, where there's no drums, you know, which is a, a kind of one of the Adonda signature, I would say. Uh, yeah, I think sonically, he's he's definitely exploring realms that you know, were interesting, genuinely interesting sounds and motifs. The lack of drums was nice. <laughs> uh, it, did, it did make for the length of the record a little bit harder because it kind <laughs> of stayed in this register, which I think, again, could have been interesting if it weren't. It, it felt a little uh, like mismatched. You know, it's like if you're going to go for this sort of ambient, spacious record, that should just be what you lean into instead of these sort of uh, jarring moments of like lyrical and vocal, you know, dissonance. So then it's no longer this like calming vibe throughout. It's like this calming vibe with this chaos on top of it. There's some moments, drumless moments that are kind of incredible musically. And then there's moments where it gets so spare, like he's just rapping over some like kind of repetitive churchy organ chords and it gets so weird sounding and unfinished that it starts seeming almost like outsider art or something it, it, there's definitely a couple it, despite all the and I think that that goes to despite all the kind of multiple iterations of this album and all the stuff I, I, it's still not finished I don't think it still doesn't sound completely done to me yeah and I mean I think the the, uh, the incomplete album thing is a uh, you know it's kind of a new trademark of his I think the life of Pablo even this exactly. quote unquote finished product felt very unfinished, but there was, there was a, there was something very refreshing about that. You know, it felt like a genuinely new experience with music because it was like this raw format in, in some way. I think that happened a lot less intentionally. Whereas now I feel like he's almost trying to recapture that in a way. Well, it's like something works and it, it also can kind of encourage some of your bad habits so you can see why you might might want to lean into that. I, I I do see some of the sort of stressors in his 
process. I can see him trying to push himself in different ways or trying to recreate things. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I do think, I mean, I personally just can't lose my fascination with him artistically, even on, on the some of the lows over the last few years. It's like there's always something interesting going on. And, and I think this is slightly, I mean, over probably the best thing since Pablo, right? Which, uh, of course, doesn't say much necessarily given that it's been kind of a rocky road. But it, it's not like he's on a, a a straight downward arc, if you know what I mean. It does seem there's there's definitely, I think, signs of artistic life. I don't know that he's, you know, completely finished or anything. But, you know, I think with Kanye, so much of what has made him such a compelling artist over the past 10, 15 years now is the ways in which he's been able to speak to the culture. And I think especially in this, in his like Trump phase, which for all intents and purposes is still going on. You know, I think he's lost touch with where the culture is and more drastically where the culture is going. And I think it's, you know, it's, this isn't rock bottom. It is probably one of his better records out of the last three now since Pablo, but I don't see him maintaining that sort of finger on the pulse and I think that's a hard thing for an artist as they get older. You know, Kanye is in his 40s now. So it's almost like an expectation that isn't fair for him. You know, it's like, of course, you're not going to be this this cultural soothsayer forever. Um, but I don't know that he has figured out where the middle ground is yet. I've long kind of had the theory that is that a lot of like the frantic controversy that Kanye's created around himself for years now is to is to make people think about anything but the fact that he's over forty. Uh, that's just like <laughs> I mean, Kanye you, you less kind than of, Drake does. You know, Drake is someone who I think is genuinely uncomfortable with aging. Kanye, it almost is like he doesn't register that as a concept or something. <laughs> right. So Jeff, we were just about to talk about some of the collaborations on the Kanye West album. And before we get into the music of it, he decided to include both a, a bit on the album and probably more importantly at his launch events, he decided to in- include Marilyn Manson and DeBaby. Uh, and the, the Marilyn Manson is just, uh, in my opinion, particularly egregious. I mean, it, it just feels like shock for shock value. I mean, Marilyn Manson is accused of some heinous shit right now. And, uh, you know, I mean, the baby, you know, is a separate discussion. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, certainly a lot of people are justifiably very upset with the baby, but, but he didn't, he's not accused of, of horrendous uh, sexual assaults. Uh, but in both cases, pure provocation, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think, that's that's kind of been the mo since the since the Trump stuff, and I think that's what's been so frustrating about Kanye because, you know, muddled inside of all of that is a mildly coherent critique of quote unquote cancel culture, right? Like I think there is a conversation to be had about the speed with which social media and in turn the actual news media creates narratives around certain issues that don't actually do that much to help the people whom it is allegedly helping. That's a conversation worth having. And that's a conversation I would love to see happen in the open, especially with artists like DeBaby and Kanye West. Uh, Marilyn Manson, as you kind of mentioned, is is such an outlier of even the generous assessment of bringing out DeBaby, right? Like, if you want to be generous to the idea of Kanye as an artist, you could say, oh, he brought out DeBaby with this, this notion of, 
you know, redemption is possible for everyone. And that should be the way that we look at things. Contentious as that may be, that's like a coherent argument. Marilyn Manson does not fit in that narrative, not only because he's not a rapper, he's not featured on the album in any sort of way, but also just the, the, the re the, how recent these allegations and these charges have come out, you know, it, it, it's, it's tantamount to bringing R. Kelly out, you know, where it's like, instead of trying to have a conversation about an issue in a nuanced way, it, he's just basically stirring up outrage and, and playing that game. And I think that's, that's, it's Fox news stuff. You know, it's, it's classic conservative talk show, conservative media. There's nothing, there's nothing intellectual about it. There's nothing interesting there. Well, yeah, it's not like Marilyn Manson signed the Harper's letter or something. You know, it's, it's not like, he, you know, it's, 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 there's no argument here. He, he does have, I guess, some vocals on jail part two that you can barely, you know, that, that, that are pointless. And just, again, rather than an artistic purpose, seem to serve a purpose of, of provocation. But yeah, it's just a, an ugly, bizarre thing to do. And just is the kind of thing where just when you're, you want to give Kanye the benefit of the doubt, and then he does something like that, and and with such sort of obvious glee, uh, kind of bummed me out. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure there's people who did a lot more than bum them out. I'm sure it really was very hurtful, actually. But and then there's just like we were talking about this. He has Pop Smoke on there, the late Pop Smoke, and he used something that wasn't very good. And it's just like, what's the point of why? Why would you do that? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot to be said about the way Pop Smoke's posthumous releases are being handled at large, I think there's a lot going on there of, it's almost like people are treating his his music as like stocks or something, you know, just like trading mm. back and forth with value in a, in a way that's kind of uncomfortable at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's, it's, it's less about the music in these moments. It's a lot more about this sort of culture war, culture conversation. And that's where I think both, you know, Kanye in particular has really, fallen off or lost the plot in the past few years because it's become so much less about the music and so much more about this, you know, nebulous social media, news conversation, controversy, TMZ, like all of those things are now feeding into the output more than just like, these are good songs. This is a good verse. There's a few moments where the guest stars kind of shine. Which one stood out for you? Cardi, maybe? Yeah, I definitely, I was just going to say the Cardi verse on Junior is really good. Um, there is a, you know, J Electronica, just hearing him on music is fantastic. Uh-huh. In the name of the true and living God, the beneficent, the merciful. Thank you for bringing me up the rough side of the mountain like earth. I don't know if... The yeah, I gotta say, I, 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 more than part of me wants to cancel J Electronica, but I, but I, but I hear you. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. He, he, I mean, you know, J Electronica is who I think Kanye thinks he is. Um... The West Side Gun feature was 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 really good. I think you know Kanye has good taste. He he knows he knows kind of the the shape of what sounds interesting, what sounds good right now. Um, you know, I think the Five Year Foreign feature is something that a lot of people were talking about, and I really did think that that was a good use of his talents. So yeah, you know, there there's a lot of really good moments, and then there's stuff that is really boring. Like I think I'm just I don't have any more patience for Kid Cudi. I think that sort of Kid Cudi, Kanye, moody, oh, woe is me thing. Like, I'm just super over it. Like, personally, uh, there's nothing new being uncovered in either mm. of the collaborations. Every time they work together, it's like the same song. 
could have gone without that. <laughs> uh, but personally, I, lo- I I like that song. I will like that song no matter how many times they deliver it. I, I, lo- I love Cuddy, but I, I know you mean. <laughs> Interestingly, though, you know, there are no female collaborators outside of, you know, him sampling his mother. And that's something where I think it's, you know, again, like a huge just oversight or, you know, gap in Kanye's relevance where it's 2021 and some of the most interesting hip hop music being made, some of the most interesting music being made right now is by women. And you are the biggest superstar in the world. Right. You could literally call up Phoebe Bridgers, Olivia Rodrigo, and they will show up on your album and, you know, make a moment that's actually compelling. And instead we get this boys club of like... (laughs) you know, mobbing up next to Marilyn Manson. Like, that's the vibe. Right. You get the the, the legion of doom of the canceled instead of, yeah, right. It's a, And it, listen, when, when, you, when you have, yeah, that's why I pictured, like, you know, it's, it's just like, where's Louis C.K.? Where's, like, you know, Aziz? Like, just, like, one after the other. Uh, actually, you know what? It, <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like putting Aziz in that club is actually unfair to Aziz. I, I feel like I want to apologize to Aziz, but you know what I mean. Um, but, I mean, when you, yeah, when you have, I think, over 30 guests and not one of them is a woman besides your late mother – that starts to feel pretty deliberate or an oversight to the extent of like insanity. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't go as far as say deliberate because I don't know that Kanye is like, I'm going to make sure to not have women on here, but I think it speaks to just a gap in his own sensibility. You know, this is someone who, you know, has said some weird things about, you know, what he wants his daughters to do and things like that. So you do have to wonder where his stance is on like liberation. You know what I mean? Like what, you know, the kinds of things that he, he won't allow, women to maybe say on his records, which is such a shame because if you think back to my beautiful Dark Tools of Fantasy, you know, still Nicki Minaj's most impressive verse. So it's a shame. It's it's a real shame that, you know, here we are in this era of hip hop where so many exciting things are happening and Kanye's kind of picking and choosing how to engage with it. Yeah, no, I mean, that... That monster moment helped helped make her career and there's all sorts of opportunities for something like that and nothing, so... Last thoughts on Kanye, I guess, before we move to Drake, and we can kind of incorporate Drake into Kanye as well. My my thoughts on the record, listen to it a few times. It's not something that I find myself wanting to return to, which is, a, is I think, the biggest tragedy of it. I think, you know, if we look at Life of Pablo as Kanye's last real album, <laughs> um, that record for months, there were moments that you just wanted to relive. And not even just like one song, you wanted to relive, you know, three track stretches and how they blended together and how it all fit into a mood and an energy. Um, There's none of that here. There's really none of that here. I think this album was so much of a moment. It was so much of a, you know, we had a month of just hearing about it coming out that we all finally just were like, cool, let's listen Um, and nothing more. And I think for an artist like Kanye, that's, that's a failure on his part. You know, what he's good at is making albums that are timeless. And this is something that I don't think is, is a very timeless record. I think he's trying to get himself back to the place where he can focus and make a masterpiece. And I think he can't get himself there. I think, I just think he can't focus as part of it. I, I really, I really do. And I think he tried, I admire weirdly the obvious effort he made to try to make something great. Um, I just don't, I don't think he quite got there, but I, I remain fascinated. Uh, I also remain fascinated by, you know, I mean, it wasn't just Trump. He also, you know, he came out as like fervently pro-life. There was, you know, he made some comments about slavery that were horrifying. Like he, there's a lot of stuff that I think people are just willing to just be like, well, maybe he didn't mean it, you know? And it's just kind of like, and there are artists like that. There are public figures like that where you kind of just say, well, 
they may not have been totally like there when they said those things, you know, and you want to just, and there is that background of like, he is battling some kind of mental illness. And, and that, you know, I think there's a a level of perhaps appropriate forgiveness uh, based on that. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) But let's talk about the, the Drake album, which is less fraught in a way, you know, I mean, I do think, and I, I think you didn't fall into this trap of expecting Drake not to be Drake in your review. I do think there's a there's a thing where people want, we're just mad at Drake for being Drake, you know, and for being like, and for rapping about, you know, his texts with women and being self-obsessed and, and being 35 and still into this stuff. I, I personally am inclined to to not see that as a problem. He is who he is. And I think expecting him to be someone else entirely is just not not fair. I don't know where you, where you land on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I more or less agree. I think the the frustrating thing about Drake's album wasn't so much that he's doing all his old tricks, but more that he's he's not shedding, he's not going any deeper. You know, it's like we've we've come again, we've come up against this wall with Drake, where it's exactly how much he's going to tell us, exactly how much he's going to reveal or or you know provide insight into on in both directions. So you know, it's. He's giving the fans as much insight into his world as possible as he wants to, but he's also doing as much introspection as he wants to. So it's never, you never get those moments like with Kanye, who for all the shortcomings of the album is really not afraid to go there and dig deep into his own subconscious, into his own psyche, into his own thought patterns. And that makes for interesting art most of the time. (laughs) Um, With Drake, you know, he's gotten it down pat to, you know, here's the narrative, here's the the character, and I'm just going to continue giving you that character. And that's what I think with this record, by now, it's just not as interesting as it used to be. And I think, you know, he fell short of providing us with something kind of new to get to grab onto a new energy, a new wave to say like, oh, this is the 2021 Drake versus 2016 Drake. You know, it's like, it's pretty much the same old Drake. If you like Drake, which I do you're not necessarily disappointed to have more Drake. But I guess it's just sort of like, it's the difference between, hey, this is a perfectly good Drake album and he's not breaking the new ground and he's not going to the next place that you want him to go. Uh, which doesn't mean there isn't a lot of stuff that's a lot of fun to listen to on this album. It's kind of, which is why you ended up with three and a half stars and not like two. Right. You know, and I think the 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 length of time in between albums, even though he did provide, you know, a full mixtape and a little Lucy collection, but I think the years in between the albums also created this dynamic where the expectations rose. You know, he wasn't gone long enough for people to fully forget about him, but he was gone long enough for people to think that what he was going to do next was going to be huge. You know what I mean? Like, I think if, if this album had come out a year and a half ago, everyone would have been just like, oh, this is cool. Great new Drake album. Um, but the fact that it was so long, the fact that it's post-pandemic, whatever post you can call it, you know, I think the expectation was, oh, we're going to get something really, you know, groundbreaking from Drake. And I think that expectation is probably sitting on all major artists right now because we've all had a year and a half of just sitting around. You know, what what <laughs> what new did what new thing did you discover in that time? You know, like why would anyone expect to get just a standard issue Drake album when the past three years have not been standard issue by any means? I think he's one of those people, one of those artists where you're just like he's he just is who he is and he's not going to, like you said, he's not going to shock you that way. He's not going to suddenly reach some new level of introspection or, or you know, and it, it's just, if he's going to push against his limits, it's going to be in some other way. I mean, I will say that some of my favorite Drake is uh, is the, if you're reading this, it's too late Drake, the, the tough guy Drake. And like you said, there's some kind of like prime tough guy Drake 
on here, and I, I do personally enjoy it. I realize that's not everyone's favorite Drake mode, but that, that's some of my, weirdly, perversely, maybe, that, that's some of my favorite Drake stuff. Especially on, for, for the lover man that he is on the, the Certified Lover Boy, that album, still, there's, there's, some, there's some good Tough Got Drake on here. A lot, a lot of tough talk, for sure. I think, you know, I think that's one of the things that probably made this record a little bit, I mean, it's also pretty long. Uh, Donda, as well as 27 tracks, 26, um, and Certified Lover Boy's 21. Um, I think there's this, he, he's kind of always been in this defensive position because of who he is. Uh, you know, if we look back to, you know, when he came onto the scene, the idea of someone rapping and singing on the same song was actually new. Like people were genuinely like, whoa, like pe- nobody's doing that. And I think he's always kind of faced this uphill battle of legitimacy within hip hop because so early on he was just, you know, kind of viciously attacked for being soft singing and, and all these sort of emotional lyrics. Um, and I think he's kind of done this reactionary response, which is very much like, oh, well, I'm a tough guy. Look at me like I'm going I'm to tell you how I'm going to get you or whatever. And it's like, dude, you are a multimillion dollar <laughs> musician. You're not shooting anybody. I, at least I would hope. You know what I mean? Like, I that would be so dark if with all the money you have and all the partnerships, like it's really worth it to go and send somebody to kill you. Like, so it's very it's it's odd posturing that I think the the further into his career he gets <laughs> the harder it is to take seriously you know 27 no, I, Drake I, I, talking about sending shooters to your door you kind of buy it he's still you maybe he's got one foot in one foot out but dude you're 34 you're at the top of the industry there's no way you're going to risk it all for what somebody said something mean about you on the internet like come on right and i, I don't know if anyone ever thought that the guy from degrassi was going to have sent someone to kill you like i'm not sure that was ever like a, a <laughs> Toronto's a tough, you know, people should be more aware of the grit in Toronto. I think that's something that Drake, well, that's true. I've always really appreciated is that, you know, I think especially U.S. audiences have a, have an assumption about where things are the hardest, but there's, you know, there's pockets of Canada that are grimy, that are just as grimy as anywhere here. So, you know, I've I've never looked at Drake as someone who was like, oh, you're faking it with that stuff. You know, for all intents and purposes, it could very well be true that he was kind of running in the streets at some point or at least adjacent in whatever way. Um, I think the sort of trying to prove that legitimacy at this point is is so missing the plot for him that it, it's like, yeah, he's rapping, he's doing his tough guy thing probably better than he ever has on a lot of songs. I think uh, the nice talk track with uh, 21 Savage and Project Pat, very interesting song, like a very cool song altogether. I miss the body catcher, slaughter gang soul snatcher, ain't no regular F-150, this a fucking No friends rap. in the industry, great little flow on there, great bouncy kind of cadence and rhythm, you could hear it in cars on the street all over New York already. Yeah, no friends in the industry, my brothers been my brothers, man, you niggas ain't no kidding me a fact, whoa, I was known for snapping when I... But it doesn't, it doesn't do it, you know, it doesn't do what I think someone like Drake should be doing. You know, he, Drake is no longer an uh, up-and-coming rapper. Drake is the biggest musician in the world, on the planet, by a mile. And what you can do in that position is so much different than what you would do as a, you know, tough guy street rapper. And I think Drake missed a really huge opportunity here to make a very big record. I think you, if I remember correctly, you like Way Too Sexy. Uh, Way Too Sexy is a great song. <laughs> Everyone I haven't decided it yet. I think it's real. I think it's going to go down as like a sleeper hit 
that people are not going to get out of their head. I think the people are with you. I, I, I don't know that my first uh, reaction was not positive, but I'm warming to it. Uh, but I think the voice of the people is with you, and I think the streams are going to be with you. He joins uh, Taylor Swift was first uh, as far as modern day interpolations of uh, of Red said Fred, but uh, but getting Future and Young Hug to hop on the track, and it, it's uh, you know it, I think it. I, I think it, it was guaranteed to be some type of hit, and I think it's I, I'm, I'm warming to it. I don't know. It's a little maddening, but <laughs> like it's earworming in a way that's a little bit uh, hurtful. But uh, it's, it's all good. There's a very strange thing that Drake did that I, I, was, I was really confused. He leaked a Kanye track that has Andre 3000 on it, and it's a diss. I was actually a little confused. Like, why did he leak a diss of himself? With Andre 3000 on it, what was he trying to prove? I'm rarely totally confused, but I was actually a little confused by that that move. I feel like it was a I feel like it was a very industry specific move. Like it was very inside baseball. I don't know that that leak had anything to do with any of us listening to it, and it had everything to do with Drake telling Kanye, "I have access to this track, and I'm gonna play it," and Drake saying, "I don't care if people hear this track because you thought putting this out was gonna be this death knell for my career, and I'm gonna do it before you get a chance to." Um, you know, as I wrote in my review, who cares? Uh, Andre's verse was great. And I think even Andre's statement afterwards was kind of even more just frustrating where it's like he didn't want any part in the speed. He just did a track with Kanye. So that whole thing was a little silly. It was just kind of like, it's another one of these things of like, nobody really cares about this feud between you guys. You're both gigantic musicians. It doesn't, the stakes could not be lower for either of them. Drake has enough money to live several lifetimes and never lift a finger. Same with Kanye. So I just, I find it hard to like, to care that they're mad at each other, that there's animosity, that they want to throw these disses back and forth. It's just so meaningless at this point. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Cause I, I still, well, I still don't get it, but <laughs> it's like, it's very strange, but I guess the thing is that Drake and Kanye don't even have to occupy the same space. They don't necessarily occupy the same space. There's no reason that they should be directly beefing like this. Uh, and it, it's, I mean, I, I saw someone positing that that maybe Kanye is bothered by the fact that Drake is perceived as attractive, that there is that lover boy aspect to him. And that's not been a big uh, thing in the Kanye West world. Uh, that was interesting. I hadn't pondered that, uh, you know, without getting too uh, yeah, into his the, psyche. But. The psychoanalysis of, of Kanye's, uh, yeah, maybe he's jealous of Drake's looks. I don't know. I mean, I think it all stems from a lot of like personal drama between them and him and Drake and Pusha and, you know, dating course, back yeah. even further into their careers. Um, it's petty, you know, ultimately it's just really petty. It's also the kind of thing where I, I think putting this stuff in the public sphere is a really big mistake on all parties involved part i i'm one of those people who like when pusha t did the like baby reveal of drake i was kind of like grossed out because it's like yeah you're ultimately impacting this child's life and the mother of this child's life and using that as like just collateral damage because you're mad at drake who apparently like said a bunch of stuff about your wife or something like it, it's just nobody nobody's being a terribly good person and all of this and and that to me is the part where it's like i really wish i didn't have to see the side of you guys right right it, it, it just seemed to cross the line uh quite a bit there and then but then it's maybe it's rained back and you know i, I guess there was a thing of posting uh posting addresses or whatever so that it does always threaten to get it to get out of control but it is like too extremely grown men who should probably not not be doing this. Let's just talk a little bit more about some of the highlights of the Drake album because I mean with the two of these albums you could probably cut them in half and make 
pretty excellent playlist. Yeah, I'm sure the kids are already up to that on YouTube. Actually, oh, definitely. Uh, I've, I've I've seen I've seen many playlists doing that. In fact, I saw uh, I've seen a couple <laughs> that make a, a short mixtape of the best of both of these albums, which is I, I kind of like that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot to love on Certified Lover Boy. More to me, I think with the Kanye record, it's hard for me to find a way in to actually being like, oh, I love this song. But you know. Drake's affinity for the city of Houston has has been consistent throughout his career and the city loves him back. And it was really cool to see the way he flipped a few of the samples and some of the references he made. You know, I think that to me is Drake at his most interesting, where it's 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 this autobiographical take on a different region or a different place. And it's almost like you're getting an interpretation of, you know, it's like Anthony Bourdain retelling his time in a place. You know what I mean? You get it through this Drake lens that's always really interesting. Get Throat is like an anthem in the city of Houston. And, mm. you know, Drake does his thing with it in a way that's so respectful. He doesn't try to go in and make a new version of Bun B. He goes in and says, I'm Drake, so I'm going to slow it down, make it the sexy, somber song. But these those crazy guitars that everyone in Houston is so familiar with are going to just ring out mm. immediately. Um, and those were moments where I, I thought Drake was, you know, doing his thing at he, he was doing what he does best. Um, same goes for Fountains with Thames, I think. Yeah, you know, that's a highlight. His Afrobeat, call it fixation, uh, appreciation, you know, it, it doesn't come without its its problems or its, its conversations around, you know, who gets ownership and authorship. But at the end of the day, I think, he he puts himself in such a vulnerable position when he kind of adopts these, you know, accents for, for lack of a better phrase, where it's almost like you get to watch someone actually do the work. You know, it's it's easy to kind of do this tough guy posturing. It's much harder to actually try to match a musician from a different country and their vocalisms and the way they speak and the way the their, you know, tones and rhythms. And, you know, that's that's real musicality. That's real art. That's real work or whatever you want to call it. And you know, those are the moments where he shines out, I think, the most. I agree in which maybe, you know, cut the album by a third and it, and it would be cool. I was still disappointed that there wasn't more of that on the record. You know, we've got mm-hmm. six or seven of these like pure just diss tracks or just like avenues to air out your grievances with so-and-so where we could have had six or seven tracks of Drake doing his, you know, more life thing of going around the world and, and experiencing all these different cultures and, and you know, filtering it through the Drake lens for lack of a better phrase. And I think that would have been so much more interesting, especially now in this, in the world that we live in where kids are obsessed with UK culture in the U S you know, there's a whole grind or there's a whole drill scene in Ghana. There's, there's so much going on that I would have loved to see Drake tap into the Drake. That is a, a, a real pure music fan, like a, you know, sixties pirate radio DJ type music fan. Like that's what I would have wanted to see from Drake over you know, a bunch of songs talking about I'm the best. <laughs> so what you're saying is there's way too little cultural appropriation on this album. No, I think Drake, Drake <laughs> should lean more into his role as the culture vulture of our day. But seriously, you know, he's he, a lot of great music comes out of that. So he's good at it. Yeah. So, yeah, he doesn't screw people over, at least as far as I can tell, you know, he puts people on and they end up either running with it or not. Jeffy Haza, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. 
that is today's show. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week here on Sirius XM's Volume, Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, a positive review on Apple Podcasts is particularly appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.